Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our Sunday morning service. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. So we're in the middle of this series called All I Want for Christmas Is. And last week I, I asked you if you remembered, you know, All I Want for Christmas Is, my two front teeth, you remember that. So, so there, there are a lot of songs. Yesterday I was in the car and, and I was listening to Christmas carols and, and uh, one came on that I forgot about. It, it was popularized in the 1990s. Amy Grant rele- released it. Uh, it's um, Adult Christmas List. Um, just great lyrics about what, you know, as, as we grow older, we, what we really desire for a gift is not so much those tangible things that you can find under the tree, but, you know, about love and peace and hope. You know, and I was thinking about that, you know, if I were to write down my list Um, You know, my list would be for God to have his way in each one of your lives, that that God would uh, help us be the body of Christ that loves one another, that that cares with one another, that that bears with one another in all things. And, and, uh, you know, I want to brag on you because as a church, we've gone through some some significant losses in the body of Christ. And, And you know what? You have rallied around those families. You have lifted them up. You have walked with them, and you're continuing to do that. And I want to encourage you to do that. You, you serve, and, and you give so generously. And so, you know, as, as your brother in Christ, I'm just so encouraged with what God is doing in you. So, you know, you know that's part of my Christmas list, and, and God's doing it in your lives. Now, today and all through these series, we're looking at, uh, you know, what God, uh, what we would want for God. All I want for Christmas is what? To today, all I want for Christmas is to experience God's favor. So in preparation for that, would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We we thank you for your desire for us. We we thank you for all that you have for us. We desire to experience your favor. So Lord, speak to us today. Guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. I read this story last week. I have to share it with you. Uh, an uncle went to see his niece's uh, Christmas play. You know, we have a Christmas play tonight at 7 o'clock. I hope you all come. It'll be a lot of fun. It's more than just a play, so please, please come. But, but as he went to see his niece, Olivia, she was with her best friend, Claire, and they were in the nativity play, and, and Claire was playing Mary, and Olivia was the angel. Now, b- before the show, there was a young boy going around uh, the dressing room repeating, I'm a sheep what are you? And, you know, each child responded politely and said what they were. Uh, Olivia said proudly, I'm an angel. And uh, the boy turned to Claire, and Claire was still putting on her costume, and he repeated, I'm a sheep. What are you? Claire simply replied, I'm Mary. Realizing that he had come face to face with one of the leading actors in the play, he seemed to need to justify his own role. 
So he said, it's hard being a sheep, you know. He said it with all the seriousness of a five-year-old. Claire was equally serious in her profound response. She said, yes, but it's also hard being a virgin, you know. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So listen, today we're going to be talking about Mary. We're going to be talking about the message of how God called Mary to become the mother of the Messiah. And if you know anything about first century Israel, if you know anything about about Mary's life from Scripture or from the history that, that exists from that time, you understand it was a hard existence. You know, think this one through. Mary was from Nazareth. Um, Nazareth was smaller than North Granby, if that puts it into context for you. I mean, uh, historians talk about, uh, you know, not hundreds of people, maybe, maybe a, a hundred people. Um, you know, it was a, a small community. Um, it was a community where people probably lived off the land if they had a trade. So Mary's dad probably raised uh, crops to feed the family, probably had some, possibly some livestock. Livestock. If he wasn't a, a farmer completely and he had a trade, more, li- more than likely that trade allowed him to uh, either uh, barter or earn something so that he could uh, have the things that he couldn't raise. Uh, Mary's mother uh, was full-time on mother. She was raising the kids. She was uh, preparing the food, not just the immediate meals, but the food that they would store for the future. Uh, she was teaching her, her daughter, or maybe her daughters, how to be a mother and a wife. And so, you know, you understand that it was a very, very hard existence, harder than you and I could ever imagine. And remember all of this. This was what Mary's life was before God called her be the mother of the Messiah. That came with a whole nother level of challenges and quite honestly difficulties and hardships. You know, as we think about this, let's just read the story of how Mary was called by God to be the mother of the Messiah. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or smartphones, it's going to be on the screen too. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even now, Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. 
She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Did you notice what Gabriel said to Mary? He said she was highly favored. And she and, and he said, you have found favor with God. Wouldn't you like to know that you found favor with God? Wouldn't you like to experience God's favor? We're going to dig into that today. You know, all I want for Christmas is to experience God's favor. So, so let's talk about what God's favor is first. The word in Greek translated as, as favor is the word kairos. If, if some of you have studied scripture and studied the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, you know kairos is a Greek word. It's a transliterated Greek word for the word grace. Now, it shows up over 150 times in the New Testament. Uh, of that, well over 80% of the times, it's translated as grace. But there's six times. It's translated as favor, and two of them were here in, math, in Matthew chapter 1. Chapter two, excuse me, Luke chapter 1. And when it's translated as favor, theologians say this is what it means. It's the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. That's a pretty comprehensive definition. Here's my simple definition. God's favor is God's grace to you. God's favor is God's grace to you. So what does it mean to be favored by God? Let, let's look at Mary. You know, Mary did not do anything to earn God's favor. God freely gave his favor to Mary. Now, let me suggest that the reason she was called highly favored was not because of who she was or what she did, but because of what God asked of her, what he called her to do. Now, for, for those of you who have a high regard for Mary, please understand, I'm not disrespecting Mary. I'm only reminding us that God grants his favor to us because of who God is, not because of who we are. The fact that Mary was highly favored probably was a qualifying statement of the importance of the calling that God had placed upon her life to be the mother of the Messiah. It was a calling that only one person could fulfill. And because the calling was so important, and because she carried this child, gave birth to him, and raised the Son of God, we esteem her, and we give her honor for the way she answered God's calling. All right, so how do we receive God's favor? Now remember, God's favor for Mary, uh, he gave it to her freely. It was unconditional, just like he gave his love to Mary unconditionally, just like he gave his grace to Mary unconditionally. Mary's being, Mary being favored was not based on what she did, how she lived her life, anything like that. It's based on who God is. Now, I confess, I have probably interpreted this incorrectly in the past, and I apologize for that because I said, you know what? She must have been one virtuous young woman. 
But that's not how God's grace works. That's not how God's favor works. God gives it to us because of who God is. So Mary was favored because God gave her favor. God has given you and me favor. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. God favors us because of who God is, not because of what we do, not because of how we live our life. God loves us because of who God is, not because of what we do or who we are. God gives us grace because of who God is, not because of what we do or how we live our lives. God favors us. He loves us. He graces us. He offers us salvation. He calls us to follow him. And he empowers us with the Holy Spirit when we decide to believe in him and follow him. And he calls us to be a part of his team. To share the good news of Jesus around the world. You're favored by God. Yeah. Turn to somebody and say, you're favored by God. It's true. You're, you're favored by God. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. It's not because you've been such a great person. And it's not taken away from you because you've not been a great person. It's because of the great God that we have. God's favor is not something we earn. So let me just back up here and, and in this gospel of Matthew, I, I want to read something. I'm not, actually not going to read it. I want to I allude to it. So uh, if you've got a Bible or a smartphone app and you want to pull this up, it's not going to be on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 1. It's the first 16 verses. And I just want to explain this so you understand even more significantly how God's grace, how God's favor works for us. And the gospel of Matthew, the first 16 verses is the genealogy of Jesus, the family tree. If you got the King James Version, it's got all the begats in it. This person begat this person who begat this person. So you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's the family tree. Now, in, in ancient times, uh, they didn't have resumes. They didn't, you know, they didn't have resumes that would tell you what somebody did, why they should be so important or why they should have that job. They had family trees. And just how... In modern times, sometimes we leave the bad things off of our resume. In ancient times, they did the same thing. Uh, Herod the Great actually uh, removed people from his family tree because he didn't want to be associated with them and have them be part of who he was. But in these 16 verses of the gospel, the first chapter of Matthew, it, it, it's not like that. There's stuff in there that, that to the casual reader, you don't catch. But it shows you how important God's grace and favor is. So, so let me just point out a couple of things. Uh, the first thing that you know, if, if you read through it, and I need to say this, in first century, family trees uh, went down the, 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 the man's side of the tree, the husband's side of the tree. So you, you didn't generally... Rarely, maybe never, saw a woman's name in the family tree. In this family tree, there are five women named. Five women. That says something to you about the importance of 
God's grace to everyone, male and female. But to, to the first century eye, these were, these were outsiders. They were gender outsiders. That would have shocked the first century reader who read them. Not only were there five women in there, there were people in there who weren't Jewish. Again, that would have shocked the first century reader. They were Gentiles, non-Jews, Canaanites, and Moabites. Remember, uh, if you're a good practicing Jew, uh, a Gentile, a a non-Jewish person could not come into the tabernacle before they built the temple, and after they built the temple, they couldn't come into the temple. So they were racial outsiders. But God's favor, God's grace shows us about God. But, But maybe the most surprising dimension in this is when you know some of the stories behind that family tree. For instance, uh, it says that Judah was the father of Perez and Sarah, whose mother was Tamar. So here's Tamar's name in there. Okay, Not only uh, um, is that unusual uh, because it's a woman, but she's also a Gentile, but even more so is the story behind that because Tamar tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her. This was an act of incest everywhere in the Bible. It was against God's law, but it's in there to make sure that we remember the whole story. And the whole story reminds us that it was out of a dysfunctional family that the Messiah came to be. There was favor and grace despite sin. Then there's also another person in there, and if you know her story, you'll recognize what her life was before she found God, Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. But, but here's probably is the most interesting character uh, and with the most colorful background in the genealogy. It says that Jesus is in the line of King David. Now you're thinking, wow. If you want somebody in your family tree, in your genealogy, you want somebody with royalty. But Matthew adds an ironic statement with regards to King David. It says that David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Again, if you know the story of David and Uriah, you'll know that there's something to be said here. Now, they don't include his wife's name. Her name was Bathsheba. Matthew wanted to recall a tragic and terrible chapter of Israel's history. So this is what happened. When David was a fugitive, when he was running from his life from King Saul, he had a bunch of of faithful men who came out into the wilderness, who lived with him, who protected him, who risked their lives for him. The Bible calls them David's mighty men. Uriah was one of those mighty men. Uriah risked his life for King David. Later on, David became king. After he became king, one day he saw Bathsheba, and he desired her. And so he had an affair with her. She became pregnant. To cover up his sin, he plots to have Uriah killed in battle, one of his friends who had risked his life for David. And indeed, Uriah is killed David takes Bathsheba into his wife. 
She bears him a son, Solomon. You know, uh, the reason that Matthew leaves Bathsheba's name off this list is not to slight Bathsheba. It's to slam David. It was out of this dysfunctional family, out of a deeply flawed man, that the Messiah came to be. So, so here's what I want you to see. Uh, here you have moral outsiders, adulterers, adulteresses, incestuous relationships, prostitutes. Uh, we're reminded that the two prominent ancestors, if you read this and you connect with some names that you've heard in Scripture, it's Judah and David. And they were both moral failures. We have cultural outsiders. We have racial outsiders. We have gender outsiders. The, the law of Moses in the first century, excluded all of these people from the presence of God. They, they, uh, and yet, here they are publicly acknowledged as the ancestors of Jesus. So, so what does that mean? It shows us that people who are excluded by culture, who are excluded by respectable society, uh, who are even excluded by the law of God, can be brought into God's family by God's grace and by God's favor. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've killed somebody. If you repent and if you believe in him, the grace of Jesus Christ will cover all your sins and unite him. You know, in ancient times, in Israel, there was this idea of ceremonial uncleanness. If you wanted to stay holy and respectable and in good standing with God and everyone else, you had to avoid all physical contact with the unholy. The unholiness was considered to be contagious, as it were. So you had to stay separate. That's why when lepers would go into towns, they were required to yell, unclean, so you would stay away from them and not be made unholy. But Jesus turned that around. His holiness and goodness cannot be contaminated by contact with us, sinful people. Rather, His holiness infects us by our contact with Him. Come to Him, regardless of who you are and what you have done, no matter how morally stained you are, and Jesus will make you pure as snow. So, Let's just go back and look at King David. By his credentials, he had all the words, world's power credentials. In the first century, power credentials, he was a man, not a woman. He was a Jew, not a Gentile. He was royalty, not poor. But even as Matthew shows us, David, too, can only be in the family tree of Jesus by God's grace. By God's favor. It's not the good people who are in and the bad people are out. Everyone is in only by the grace of God. It's only what Jesus has done for you that you can give your standing before God. You can't earn God's favor. So that family tree, that genealogy, that, that shows you a people who earned God's favor, not by anything they did, but they received it from God. I shouldn't even say they earned God's favor. Don't want to mislead. They were given God's favor 
They received it from God. We don't earn it. So once again, you are favored by God. If you didn't know that, you need to celebrate that. You've received God's grace. So, so what do we do with that? Here's the second thing that we, we need to understand, and it's this. Christ followers must be God-pleasers, should be God-pleasers. Not people-pleasers, but God-pleasers. So, so we don't earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do to get it except he gives it and we say, yes, I take it. When we know we're favored by God as Christ followers, our response is to want to live a life that's honorable and pleasing to God. Isn't that what Mary did? She took this high calling where she was highly favored because of what she was being asked to do, and she did it with poise, with humility, and with strength, strength that that none of us will ever know. She lived a God-pleasing life. In Scripture, we're told to be God-pleasers. Let me remind you of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the, sa- in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. To live in a way that pleases God. Now, so some of you are thinking, all right, um, that means I shouldn't do certain things and, and I, I shouldn't do other things. That's religion. Religious thought says, do this, don't do that, you make God happy. But Jesus came not to bring religion. He came to bring us into a relationship with God. And it's not about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. It's about being in a relationship with God, receiving His grace, His favor, and seeking to live in a God-honoring way. And when you make a mistake, and you will, I do every day, asking for forgiveness, receiving his grace to go out and live a God-honoring life. So so let me say three things how you can please God. Here's the first thing. Believe. The apostles were talking, preaching about Jesus, and somebody came up to him and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You're saved by faith. That's grace. Nothing you do. You're saved by faith. We also need to repent. In the Gospel of Mark, we read, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repenting is very simply saying, You know what, God? I have messed up. I have sinned. And if you want to enumerate it, I'd encourage you to do that. And then know that you're forgiven. That you are forgiven. So if you've believed and you repented, what do you do next? You follow. You follow him. Pastor J.D. Greer has said this. Salvation is not a prayer you pray in a one-time ceremony and then move on from. Salvation is a posture of repentance And faith that you begin in a moment and maintain for the rest of your life. That's following Jesus Christ. 
If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you can probably remember roughly about the time when you did that. It started in a moment, but you maintain it for the rest of your life. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to talk just a a little bit about this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. We've been given God's favor and grace, and he calls us to follow him. That means we put him first and then let everything else follow. We celebrate today that, that Ken and Aubrey did that, and they went public by baptism. That's what we're called to do. We're not supposed to be ashamed that we're followers of Christ. We go public. We put him first and let everything else fall in order underneath that, even our most significant human relationships. So I, I want to challenge you to, to put God first, to, to say to him, God, in, in my life, you're first and you can have everything else and you can order it. You can be that. To, if you've never gone public with your faith in Jesus Christ through baptism, I encourage you to take that step. If you've never said to Jesus today, you've sort of, you know, tiptoed around the whole Jesus thing. Say, well, you know, I've just, I've never said, Jesus, I believe in you and I accept your forgiveness for my sins. You can do that today. It's saying to Jesus, I believe in you and I'm going to put you first and you can have everything else and let it fall in order. He's not going to take it away from you. But he's going to reorder it. He's a good God. He's not going to hurt you. When you follow Jesus Christ, it's mean trusting that you'll let him guide you and direct you, opening your heart and your mind to receive that. It's saying, Jesus, you're in charge. I want to close with a prayer this morning and let you talk to Jesus about letting him reorder your life, putting him first. Maybe some of you need to tell him you believe in him and and you want to be his follower. For those of you who are following and and you think you've made a mess of it, just ask for forgiveness. You have God's favor. You have it already. He will forgive you. And then let's pledge to him to follow him with him at the top and letting everything else fall in its place. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we want to say to you, you can have everything in our lives. Lord, that's a scary uh, prayer to pray, but, but as we do so, we recognize that when we believed in you and we repented of our sins and you forgave us, we became your followers, sons and daughters of God, and we want to be faithful followers you in the foremost position in our lives and say you can have everything else. Put it in order, Lord. For those of you who may never have told Jesus you believed in him and you want to follow him, you know what? Right now you can just pray this silently to him. Jesus, I believe in you. Just tell him that. Jesus, I accept your forgiveness for my sins. Just tell him that. 
And now, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Tell him that. Lord, we celebrate those who have prayed that prayer. We celebrate that you have given us favor. And we can walk out of here this morning not looking to experience it, but to realize that we've already had it because of who you are and how much you love us. We will walk taller with that knowledge, and we will share it with others, Lord. In Jesus' name. You stand with me. Let's sing to Jesus and tell him he can have it all. He can be in charge. Know that you're walking in God's favor. I want to just give you a couple of encouragements and challenge. Hey, you know, it, it's Christmas season. We have a photo booth for you to take a Christmas picture this Sunday and next Sunday. So stop by the lobby and, and get your picture made. This is a gift to you. Secondly, there's some packages of Christmas cards that the ushers have, and they're great invitation tools just to invite somebody to one of our events. Go out and invite somebody to come and hear the message of Jesus. And then third, when you leave here, whether you go to the cafe or the lobby, encourage people. Tell them they're favored by God. Get into a conversation about that. Because you are favored. God loves you. God has graced you. God wants you to be in his family. If you're not, and if you are in his family, he wants you to walk in that truth, in that grace and favor. So now receive the blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. The prayer team will be up here if you want to talk to somebody and pray with them today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. It's our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information about Valleybrook Community Church, please visit our website at valleybrook.cc.